0: Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost. Um, it's a pleasure to be back. Sorry for last week. We had a bit of a technical, a technical mix, mix up, but welcome to the Health Tech Hour where each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the founders, leaders, CEOs and clinicians that are changing the face of healthcare in the UK and beyond. As many people listening will know, I'm the CEO and founder of a health tech venture myself called PocDoc. We've developed the world's first ever app-based blood testing system and we're currently rolling out across the UK. So keep your eyes open for that. PocDoc also very kindly are partnering the show to make the show possible. Um, As always at the start of the show, I just want to say thanks to everyone for listening. It wouldn't be a show if we didn't have people listening. All 50 or 60,000 of you listening live on UK Health Radio. The thousands of people each week that watch the show on YouTube and the thousands of people that listen on Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. Check us out. Just search for Health Tech Hour. You can also find me on Instagram. It's at Steve Roost. And you can find the show um, Health Tech Hour on Instagram as well. So on to today's show. Today's show is a good one. We haven't had an investor on in a while, actually. um, And we've never really had this type of investor on. So it's good to, we're speaking today to Lucius Carey, who is the CEO and founder of Oxford Technology Management. Now Oxford Technology Management is an investment fund, early stage investment fund, that has to date funded 51 different companies, all from the Oxford area. So supporting the local Oxford ecosystem, supporting local entrepreneurs and the the growing vibrant startup culture in Oxford. And, uh, and across hundreds of investments, largely in the technical scientific space. Um, But I I think it's really interesting to speak to Lucius, particularly at this time where, yes, I mean, we all know that there's a cost of living crisis going on, there's a wider economic situation. And at the same time, I think, yes, it's difficult for startups to raise money and find capital, but actually there's some unbelievably interesting and exciting growth stories, um, particularly coming out of places like Oxford and Cambridge, as well as london obviously and so i think it's a really really interesting time to get lucius on the show so lucius welcome to the health Tech hour how are you good morning i'm very well thank you good so thanks a lot for coming on the show um i think your story as to how you started oxford technology management because it's not a new thing right it's been around yeah. for a while i think it's really interesting so why don't you why don't you share with the listeners what it is and and why and how you kind of came to be doing it because you must have been one of the first angel investors you must have been an angel investor before the term angel investor
1: was invented that is indeed the case yes (laughs) so shall i I tell you the the story of how it all started yeah yeah please so um i after school i did i did an apprenticeship in engineering and um at the atomic energy research establishment and so i was u- using machines and, and learning to be an engineer and then i went to oxford and i read engineering and um then i changed my mind i thought because <laughs> um, i signed <laughs> up to do, i signed up to do a year of apprenticeship and then a, a degree in engineering and then another year afterwards um, but i changed right. my mind then i thought england is full of Good engineers, um, but what we're not good at doing is starting businesses and making money out of these things. And, and so well, then I went well, to see my. To that, sorry? How, how, did that conclu- how did you come to that conclusion? How uh, did you come to that conclusion? I guess I just looked around and there aren't that many great British companies. You know, we've got, we've okay. got Rolls Royce, but you know, so many of these companies seem to start in the States. And, right. and uh, you know the thing in England, we tend to start businesses and then we sell them, um, you know, and don't don't see them through. Anyway, for better or for worse, that's what I thought at the time when I was you know 22, or whatever I was. And uh, so then I then I went to see my apprentice masters, and I said, look, I think it would be a waste of um, your time or my time, and also the country's money to you know teach me to be an even uh, better engineer. Nice. And you know what nice. I'd like to do is learn something about business. And they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd like to go to a business school. So they said, all right, well, if you can get into a business school, we will release you from your indentures. Cause I'd signed up to do this three year, uh, you know, one year, three year thick sandwich it was called. And so, right. so then I went to Harvard Business School to try to learn something about business and okay when and i you went, got into
0: harvard yeah
1: i did get into harvard yes oh, and, great. and 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 when i went and uh, i got there i i was sort of thinking that there was some mystery to business and you know and i wanted to know find out what the secret was um and what i what i learned is that there's nothing to learn really it's all common sense business and it's about, you know, producing products that people want, keeping them up to date, uh, you know, having people to make them and, and, you know, having keeping people enthusiastic and staying up to date. Not saying these things are difficult to do, you know, easy to do. I mean, <laughs> not that they're easy to do, um, but, you know, what you want to try to do is not that complicated. Anyway, so right. when I came back from Harvard, Um, I wrote a letter to Mr. Hanson, as he was then, later Lord Hanson. And I said, uh, Mr. Hanson, I think you've got got a very good management style and I think you're going to be very successful. And I would like to come and work for you. And I don't care what you pay me, um, but I want to be in charge of something. And if I do it well, I expect to be promoted. And if I do it badly, you can sack me. Okay. And he said, oh, you're just the chap for me. You're hard. So I then I then turned up. And what
0: was what was Mr. What was Mr.
1: Hansen doing at the time? Well, well, he was he was just starting what became a hugely successful conglomerate, Hanson Trust, and it you know it grew and grew right. and grew and became a most enormous um, success. But at the time, it was just he had the first few of the um, businesses. Anyway, he, right. he 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 sent me down to the agricultural division where I reported to the chairman of the division who viewed me as a spy from <laughs> and it, it, was complete, it was a complete disaster. The, uh, okay. I mean, the one thing I thought I knew about myself was that I was a doer and not an advisor. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be in charge of stuff and to be able to do stuff. And I didn't want to be advising people on what to do. Um, but after six months of doing this it turned out i was being exactly what i didn't want to be so i would write recommendations about you know moving factory from a to b and doing new products and entering new markets and things but i had no authority to carry them out so i became quite frustrated so i, I rang up mr hansen in london and i said uh, can i come and see you and he said yeah sure so i went up to see him in london and i said look this is just not working i said either the divisional chairman must go and I'll run the division, or I better go. And he said, mm. well, I think on the whole, you'd better go. So that was the end. <laughs> <of> my- <laughs> that oh, that's the- such a great story. Was- I
0: love that.
1: <laughs> so that was the end of my first, and as it turned out, only job. Okay. And, uh, so then I thought, well, I'm obviously, you know, I'm not really employable, so I'd better start my own business. And I had I had no money. I, I borrowed money to pay for my education. So I had a mm. I had a, a an overdraft of £3,000 equivalent to about £30,000 today, a sort of student loan. Mm. And I also didn't have an idea for an engineering company. I was really wanting to go into engineering is what I like. Mm. Um, but it costs a lot of money to start an engineering business because you have to Think of a product to yes. make, you then have Machines. to get you know, machinery to make it and some people and a place to make it in, and then you make your product and then you sell it and then you wait to get paid. And it all needs a lot of capital, yes. and I didn't think I'd have a hope of raising that capital. So I conceived the slightly unlikely idea of, of starting an American hamburger restaurant. And this this was in the okay. days before McDonald's had come, okay and the the great advantage of a restaurant is that you open your doors once you open your doors you get paid in cash yeah. and you don't have yeah. to pay the butcher or you know for maybe two months or whatever you can get away with so they yeah. generate cash from day one yeah um, nevertheless uh i i did need money and i wrote a business plan mm. and i reckoned i needed 27000 pounds to start this business equivalent to about a quarter of a million today. So at that point, I was the archetypal young entrepreneur. I had a business plan in one hand, looking for uh, 27,000 pounds, and I had nothing to contribute myself. So the question was how to raise money. Uh, And this was 1972. Uh, So the first thing I did was go and see my bank, and they offered to increase my overdraft from 3,000 to 4,000. So I had at least something to contribute. But yeah, and um, I then, there were two venture capital companies at the time, ICFC, or it's now 3i, and a thing called the Small Business Capital Fund. And they were were the only two. And I went to see both of them, and they both turned me down after 20 minute meetings on the grounds that I was too young okay. and I'd never run a business before, blah blah right. blah. I um, I, yeah, I can imagine
0: that those those entities back in the day were probably rather conservative.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and uh, right. anyway, so then I thought, oh, well, what do I do now? So I, de- I then put an advertisement um, in the Financial okay. Times, and the advertisement said, um, okay, yeah, the advertisement's a tiny little ad. In, in, a, in a, at, the, at the time, the Financial Times used to have a whole page of classified advertising. And, and so this ad said, entrepreneur seeks £26,000 to start business. That was the 27000 that that I needed, less <laughs> than 1000 that the bank was going to lend me. <laughs> Estimated right. value to investor after 66 months, £237,500. Okay. And the idea of putting that rather precise number was to convey the idea that there was a plan. And, and so yes. I had 16 replies to that ad, of whom six people were trying to sell me more advertising. But the other, <laughs> <laughs> the other 10 were people who today would be called business angels. Although, as you rightly say, the, the term did not then exist. Okay. And, and so I sent those 10 people a copy of my business plan. And, uh, and then the first one of them rang me up and, and he said, oh, this, this looks interesting. Come and have lunch in a pub. So I, I went to have lunch with him in a pub and there was somebody else there who wasn't uh, interested in the business. And it was a, it was a very sort of unsatisfactory meeting we you know, It was the summertime, and so we we talked about the cricket a bit, and then we uh, fetched our drinks, and, uh, and then we talked a little bit about the business, and then we fetched the food, and it just didn't feel that it went at all well. So at four yeah. o'clock in the afternoon, I rang him up and I said, "Look, that went really badly, and I'm sure you're not going to invest in me." And he said, "You're quite right." He said, "I'm I'm just writing you a letter," and I said, "But can I come and see you again and do it properly?" Yeah, he said. He said, all right, come to breakfast. So a couple of days later, I turned up (laughs) up in his house and we talked about the business for three hours. Wow. Okay. And and at the end of that time, he offered to invest £5,000 in the business on the terms that I was suggesting. Okay. The terms that I was suggesting were that I would put the £1,000 that the bank was lending me for shares and the investors would put Mm. £999 for shares and then the investors would make a loan of £25,000 to the business secured against the assets of the business but not guaranteed by me. Yeah. So the effect of that structure was that if the business failed I would lose £1,000 and the investors would lose £26,000. If the business went well, then the first profits would get used to repay the investors the money they had invested, most of it, plus some interest paid in the form of director's fees, which was efficient, tax efficient. And after that, we'd share the profits 50-50. So that seemed like a fair deal to me. And it clearly did to this investor, because he offered to invest £5,000 on those terms. And I would say that that is the key moment for anybody who's ever tried to start a business completely from scratch. As soon as you've got an investor who's agreed to invest on agreed terms, not because they're your father or your friend or something, but Purely because they think it's a good commercial proposition, suddenly everything gets real. It's called having a lead yeah. investor, and it's absolutely yes. key. And I didn't know all this. Then, I, I would, I would agree with that. You would agree with that. Uh, yeah, but it's experience. not, it's not.
0: Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not just. Um, it's not just that it gets real, but there's that moment where, like, you know, your father and your mother and your uncle and your brother—they're always going to be reasonably. Positive about what you're doing, right? Correct. You know, they're gonna be highly they're biased. Well, it's generally biased. Sometimes, you know, they might not be biased, but generally they're pretty biased in your favor. Yeah. So, but then when you find that first person or the first couple of people that are genuinely independent, yeah, after you know, having gone through god knows how many no's, when you find those people, those first people, and you're like, it's it's always so I've I've always found it so inspirational and so motivating because. You know, it's that first moment where someone outside the circle of trust has looked at you, looked at your plan, looked at your team, looked at what you're talking about and said, you know what, actually, I'm in. And I'm in on these terms. And you can take that to the bank. And then you can go around everybody else and say, look, I've got this lead. This is the terms and so on. And then then it kind of accelerates. No, I completely agree with you. It's that it's that first moment where someone. Who is putting and, and less so even with VCs? I would say it's really the business angel community because it is very specifically their own money, right? Whereas a, a, a fund, they have it, it's it's not necessarily their money. Whereas if, yeah. it's, if that one person is saying, "I'm going to take some slice of my fortune, however big or small that fortune might be, and I'm going to give it to you, and I trust yeah. you
1: with it," it's a big moment. Yeah, absolutely, and it's exactly what happened here. I- as soon as I got the first person offering to invest, I, you know, I, I contacted all the other people who would contacted me. And I said, you know, look, we're, we're on the road now. We, you know, the money's coming in. You know, there's still time if you'd like to join the party. And um, quite quickly, <laughs> I became oversubscribed. So I had more people That's wanting great. to invest than I had room for.
0: I love that phrase. If you're, you know... What, what did you say? Like there, there might still be time for you to participate. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <love that> <laughs> exactly. just that sort of thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, the t- anyway. time time is ticking, guys. But I think I can get you in.
1: Okay, exactly. That's um, exactly right. So Yeah, so so, I ended up. So, I took. I took the um, four. And so how? Yeah. Is it you okay on. to go on? Or we, yeah. Just here? go. Go go go. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so I took the four largest, two for 8,000 and two for 5,000. So that was four four investors. And uh, and then I was, uh, you know, I had the money to start the business. And it was, uh, I had to find a site. And the first site that came up was in Bristol. So I uh, eventually uh, uh, acquired this site. And then I went down to uh, open the, the restaurant. And I <laughs> I mean, I knew nothing at all, really, about restaurants. But I did, <laughs> I did, I did work extremely hard. So it was seven days a week, uh, 14 hours a day, and I did yeah. everything. I, you know, I cooked the food, I waited at the table, I paid the wages, I employed the staff, I did everything, and uh, it was hard work. And it took a long time. Don't really want to talk about the restaurants, it's not too relevant, but it took a long time to get going. Um, and eventually, yeah. I had to give away. People just didn't know what a good hamburger was at the time. Yeah. So I had to give away 10,000 free meals to get people to come. But once they came, wow. they liked it. And so it slowly began to grow. Right. And after, um, after a couple of years, I had enough money in the bank to open a second um, restaurant. And then after uh, by the end of five years, I had three restaurants in the chain. And each restaurant had its own manager. And so I had time and an um, income. And um, so so then, um, looking back at the difficulty I had had raising capital, I thought that the whole mechanism for raising capital in the UK um, was very bad and could be improved. So I thought I I then started a second business, um, which was run from the office above one of the the, uh, restaurants, and that was called Venture Capital Report. And it was a monthly magazine and in it i had articles about entrepreneurs and the businesses for which they were seeking capital as opposed to my tiny little ad in the ft which just those yes. very few words this had a proper article so it had a description of the product or service an analysis of the market and competition a cv of the founders with photographs a cash flow projection a suggested equity structure and a name and address and telephone number of the entrepreneur. And then the idea was that we would sell that on subscription to investors, and that Mm -hmm. would enable um, entrepreneurs seeking money to raise capital more easily. And um, I I could tell you, there's quite an interesting sort of sideline here, is that when I uh, was thinking of starting this magazine, Somebody rang me up and they said, oh, Lucius, you know, you can't do this. It's illegal. I said, it's illegal. They said, yeah, you're, you know, <laughs> you, unless you're the stock market, you're not allowed to, you know, not allowed to solicit money. I said, I can't believe it. Anyway. And, uh, and uh, anyway, I said, in, in the end, I said, look, I've just got to go ahead and do it anyway and uh, see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. The, I did. I just started it. And then in, The first issue was in December 1978. And then I had a bit of luck because um, Mrs. Thatcher was elected in April 79. And she was on the same tack that I was on. She was trying to make England a more enterprising place where people could raise money and, you know, businesses could start. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the time, Mm -hmm. tax rates, can you believe this, were 98%. sorry. Yeah, 98%. On what wage? Yes, uh, well, it was, uh, it was the top rate of tax. So the top rate of tax was 83% on income.
0: 83%?
1: Yes, I know. It's unbelievable What's now. Unbelievable. That's what it was. It was 83%. And then any unearned income, so if you earn dividends or interest, yeah, paid the top rate of tax plus a surcharge of 15%. So you paid 98 pence what? in the pound. I know. You cannot believe it now. And it was, you know, it was the Labour Party at its worst. It was, it was Mr. Healy. You know, and he said, we'll raise taxes till the pipsqueak, he said in his famous phrase. But, but the result of that okay. is that nobody had any money to do anything. Yes. And also the, yeah. the government had a complete monopoly on all research. So anything that came out of universities, right. only the government had the right to exploit it so it was a a really terrible time uh you you know the 1970s for entrepreneurs and you know and the the state ran almost everything you know the car companies the telecoms the water the electricity everything what it it was it was can i um sorry yeah
0: go on lucius this is my producer is going crazy because we have to go for a commercial break but i want to pick up on this because i want to understand Right. I want to dig into this because I think this is like absolutely fascinating because there's so much discussion at the moment and around tax. And like we talked about the innovation side of things. I just I would I can't wait to ask about how it was to be an entrepreneur at that time. (laughs) I mean, it must have been. I mean, people think it's tough now. Like I can't imagine an economy that was like that and trying to raise money in an economy. like that. But anyway. People we'll be forget. back in two minutes with Lucius <laughs> Carey. This, yeah, we'll be back in two minutes. All right, we'll so what do I do? I just hang on with Lucius Carey, CEO and founder. <laughs> yeah, you just stay right there. Don't go, anywhere. Okay, don't, right. don't hang up, just stay right there, and then <laughs> I'll see you in a couple of
2: minutes. Okay, UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good.
3: Nagging pain. We at cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. cells. Part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. cells. Life is more beautiful with less pain.
2: A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. A station that makes you feel good.
0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Bruce, and Lucius Carey, the CEO and founder of Oxford Technology Management. So, Lucius, let's go back to what we were talking about before the break. You were in a there, there was a situation. Thatcher comes in, and the top rate of tax is ninety eight percent. What was it like being an entrepreneur then? It must have been scary as, 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 all, as all hell, I suspect.
1: It was, they're, they're really, it was very, very difficult to raise money to do anything. You know, there, there was just people were taxed so highly that no individuals had money to invest. And, you know, governments don't invest in startups. It's not what they do. And, and, no. and so it was, a, it was a really desolate kind of place. And how do you... Do you think so? How does that compare to today? Do you think? Is it well? So then, what so then, Mrs. Thatcher was elected in 1970, uh, now April 79, mm. and the first issues of Venture Capital Report had been published. Oh, incidentally, I should say one thing um, when, when, I, when the first issue of Venture Capital Report was published, um, 30 people bought the first issue. So it wasn't very okay. many, but it was some. And then one of those businesses got Not funded. Uh, one of those businesses got good. funded, and that showed that the principle could work. And then yes. the, um, the Financial Times wrote an article about it, and that then got just some, a few more exploded. people subscribed. Sorry? Yeah, it went exploded after that. No, 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 it, never, no, no, it, no, no it never exploded. Okay, it never exploded. At, at our very peak, we got to 975 subscribers, okay. and and it never really made money. It was a, it was a labor of love to be right. honest. It was very hard work doing those articles, okay. and and we to begin with we didn't charge the entrepreneurs anything, so it was a free service right um, for them, and it was just it was a to try to make get more businesses started. Anyway, yeah. um. Yeah. yeah and and in fact yeah, yeah. well i could as we, we've got an hour so i can tell you the whole sort of story my my the investors who'd invested in the restaurant company they said to okay me, we're not really investing in the restaurant we're investing in you yeah so you must undertake to do everything you do through the company in which we are now investing so i said okay I think I said, fair enough, and so that's what I did. So when Venture Capital Report was started, I didn't own any shares in it personally. The shares were owned by the yeah. restaurant company, and then I got a couple of other investors to invest. Yeah. And then after doing it for a couple of years, we were losing money, and the investors said to me, yeah. why are we doing this? You know, look, all we've got to do is, we know what we're doing in restaurants now. We just open up more and more, and, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll be Here very profitable." You know, and you're spending all your time yeah. on this loss-making business, Venture Capital Report. And I said, well, that's the point. You know, I own the, I control the business. I have, you know, that was the point. And I don't want to spend my life doing restaurants, but I do believe in Venture Capital Report and in trying to make England a more enterprising place. So that's what I want to do. And they were, and, and then they, and I, yes. but I said, oh, but if you're not happy with that, then we'll value everything and I will buy out your shares. And they said, oh, yes, please do. Okay. So oh, I wow. so I then okay. bought out their shares. So I ended up owning 100% of the restaurant company, which then owned 100% of venture capital report. So it's a, quite a good example right. of how, you know, um, per- ownership percentages can change over time. You know, entrepreneurs yeah. often think, oh, I don't want to sell more than, you know, Twenty percent of my business, but you—you know—investors ultimately do want to get out, so you can acquire it back. If, if yeah, if, it's it's cyclical, and a... also like, yeah, I think it's also it's obviously
0: cyclical, like you say, like investors invest to get out. Fundamentally, yeah. I mean, pretty much. I mean, they, they, yeah. they, they, they that's that. I mean, mums and dads and friends and family, maybe not. Depends on the size, but like yeah. any institution or a serious investor wants to get out, but also like. I've always been more. In, well, I mean, I've seen many entrepreneurs who are obsessed about their percentage ownership Correct. at the cost of raising capital to grow. Yes, which is wrong. You should be. Yes. I, and 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 they they shoot themselves in the foot.
1: Yeah. And as a as a, a, a sort of aside, I I continue to see, that, you know, my original investors. They, okay. they they still invest in what oh, I do now. <laughs> we've, that's amazing. We've, we've, we've remained friends amazing. all these years. <laughs> that's amazing. Anyway. Yeah. 50, Fifty years. uh Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I wow. mean, one of them has died, and, uh, and uh, okay. But but sorry the, to hear that. The uh, two others of them are uh, invest in my current uh, things. Anyway, okay. so Thatcher's in. is in.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so Thatcher's in in in, in April 79. the the rag, what's happened?
1: So, yeah, yeah, we've got Venture Capital Report going. So the Cabinet Office subscribed to the report. And and so they were taking an interest in, you know, the difficulties that entrepreneurs had in raising money. And so then Mrs Thatcher used to Mm -hmm. invite me to Dining Street to meet her chancellors. And and she, she would sit me down with her chancellors and she'd say, now you listen to this man, meaning me. And I would tell her chancellors that the practical issues that there were in raising capital and getting started. And so I gave, and then there were various government schemes. There was the business startup scheme and then later the business expansion scheme and the loan guarantee scheme and various efforts that were made by the government to try to make England a more enterprising place where people could raise money more easily and actually get businesses going so I used to give input um and and um, and how was it that you came
0: to know how was it that you came to know Thatcher was that just they read someone in government read your paper I don't
1: know how that happened we'll get him in I don't know how that happened it just I mean all no all I knew was that the cabinet office subscribed Okay. And so they used to get a copy every you know of every issue. And and then we used right. to I used to produce statistics. It was it was called we know we had a tiny little computer system, but we used to record for every business that we did, uh, you know, mm. how many inquiries they received for investment and where those inquiries came from. And we categorized people by I can't remember, six categories. So there were, you know, individuals, banks, venture capital companies, yeah, friends and family, that sort of thing. And so you could interrogate this database and you could say, you know, how many people with a software business in Yorkshire had received money from a bank? And, and you'd, you'd get the answer, wow. and, okay. whatever it was. And so I guess governments like statistics. Ooh. And uh, so yeah. they, used, they used to like that.
0: It was like the first version of like pitch.
1: Program. I suppose something, so, right? I mean, it was very, you know, we yeah. had, we had a, the, a, a, you know, a very primitive computer that's in 1978. And we only had 30, 16, <laughs> 16, 16K of RAM and 32K of disk drive. And so all the records were 126 right. bytes long. And I used to program the computer to do all this myself. Right. And so we'd, we, we could only record a, you know, a, a limited amount of data. But nevertheless, we did record all that right. data, and then you could ask questions of it, and uh, you know you, you'd get answers, whether they were helpful or not. I don't know, but anyway, they, right? So, government likes statistics and numbers. So you were advising Thatcher's government about their economic policy. That's well generally
0: going that's, that's, relatively that's, that's rather well, rather it in happened. a rather
1: grand way. But, but I'm uh... trying
0: to dress it up, Lucius. <laughs> Lucius, you know. Anyway,
1: but. The Oh, well, actually, I'm gonna. I, I'll I'll now say the bit of the 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 regulations and the legality yes. of the whole thing because then you know, we have to jump on now to ten years. Venture Capital Report became the sort of you know it was quite successful and we got up to nearly a thousand subscribers and so it became really quite effective as a means of raising capital for people who wanted to start businesses. And the government yep. was following this, and they then decided to imitate Venture Capital Report, and that they would set up five operations regionally to do the same thing locally. And that was quite a blow to me, really, because the government were going to put in, you know, millions of pounds um, to to do this, and 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 yeah, it, was, that's you know, it was competition. For us, so I was trying to, you know, we were struggling. We weren't really making money. Was, as I say, it was a labour yeah. of Very you're hard com- work. And we just about covered our You're
0: com- You're competing with someone that, yeah, you're basically competing with someone that has infinite funding.
1: Correct. It sucks. Correct. And and to add insult to injury, they asked me to make the speech to launch this, their, their initiative. <laughs> when they... <laughs> Are you serious? I did, I did. I did it. But... but the, 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 the point of going down That's this beaver is that, is that when the government looked into this themselves, yeah. their lawyers concluded that it was illegal, just like oh. I'd been told originally. So then I had a, a very nice letter from Mr. Heseltine, who was then president of the Board of Trade, and it said, you know, dear Mr. Carey, you know, we very much like what you're doing and don't stop uh, doing it, but we think you're illegal. and uh, But don't worry about it, <laughs> We will change the law, <laughs> and, so and they did, and and that is when the when the concept of the high net worth individual and the sophisticated investor was introduced, and mm. you are now, okay. you know, entrepreneurs are legally allowed now to send their business plan to high net worth individuals and sophisticated investors, and and that's all okay. Was that not okay before? No, it was it was oh, actually you, were, you, you do that, yeah. No, it was technically illegal. Wow. And uh, and that's what, you know, that's what my letter said. You know, dear Mr. Kerry, you know, look, we absolutely like what you're doing. It's encouraging enterprise. I've been doing it for 10 years by this time. And, uh, yeah, you know, and, and carry on doing it. But we think you're illegal. But don't worry, we will change the law. And they did. A very, you know, high time. <laughs> that was that's amazing.
3: The
1: anyway, uh, now sort of getting back on track. Um, after... Five years, so by 1983, yeah. um, it had become okay. clear that scientists could not raise money. So whenever, we, whenever we wrote up, uh, a, a quotes, unquote, ordinary business, so, you mm-hmm. know, a, a, a fashion designer or a hotel development or a golf course or something, that would yeah. get interest and it would very often raise money. Whenever we wrote up a science business, it didn't even have any inquiries. And the really. Yep. Yeah, and the reason is that you know investors, on the whole, don't understand science, and very sensibly, yep. people don't like to invest in what they don't understand. And and yep. so you know I, we kept publishing things. I'm a scientist and engineer by by you know training and inclination. And um, we kept publishing these things, which I would have liked to invest in, or I would have liked somebody to invest in. But they didn't get any inquiries, let alone any money. Wow. So then, in 1983, I was in the offices of a venture capital company in London. And I was bleating on at them. I said, you know, it's no wonder the country's going to the dogs. You know, you venture capitalists, you put your money in asset-backed ventures and already profitable businesses and management buyouts. Whenever anybody comes up with a real idea, you will run a mile. <laughs> and and they said, oh, yeah. I said, we can't stand this. How, how about, they said, if, if we give you some money, you can invest in, they said, £250,000, you invest in, you know, Five of these things yourself, and and shut up. So, <laughs> yeah, like the, said, okay, you're it's on. Like put up or shut up, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that was the beginning of what I have done ever since. So in fact, my first fund was 125000 okay. pounds, and I invested it in five things, twenty-five thousand pounds each. Mm-hmm. And luckily for me, my first investment was a huge success. And the, uh, the the investors got back um, five hundred thousand pounds for their twenty five thousand pound investment quite quickly. Oh wow! And the founder became a multimillionaire, and then he became my biggest investor. Oh nice! And so it was I was it was really lucky, and uh, and that. What was the, the business? The business was called Bell Plastics. It was a, a very um, it was a kind of it, it made XLP leap, xlpe a very specialist sort of plastic um cross-linkable polyethylene <clears throat> and you use it for lining chemical hoses And okay. it's a tiny niche market and this business captured the entire global market for that uh product and it was wow. very high margin wow. and uh, and the business was in a sense very boring because it just absolutely went according to plan Okay. And it never had any troubles. So just grew and grew, captured the entire world market, and the, after the investors, my my deal with the um, my investors in that first fund was I, I they didn't pay me anything okay. I had to do it, but I got ten percent of whatever I acquired for them. So in the Bell Plastics, we acquired a twenty five percent shareholding for the initial investment, and that was owned two and a half percent by me personally and twenty two and a half percent by the venture capital company who'd given me the money.
0: Right.
1: We then bought out the venture capital company for 500,000 pounds, but I kept my shares. So then the business okay. was owned 97% by the founder and 3% by me. Okay. And then the founder used to ring me up about every 18 months and he'd say, oh, Lucius, you know, the um, the bank balance has grown to 2 million pounds. I bought the stock for the next you know, six months. Shall I just pay a dividend? And so he used to pay a uh, nine hundred and seventy thousand pounds to himself and thirty thousand to me, and then he would invest his nine seventy thousand in in a lot of the businesses that I was getting involved with. Anyway, um, great!
0: What a great story!
1: Yeah, and anyway, so that that first uh, the success of the first fund enabled me to raise a second fund. Um, how long have we got? I've got there's quite an interesting story about that. if I tell you that? Well. So here's what we'll do. We'll go for the final commercial
0: break and then we'll come back in two minutes and then we've got probably like 12 or 13 minutes
1: left. Oh, and really? I you ought can, to, you know, I've been talking too much about the history. There are lots of interesting things You can talk stories, about whatever you want, I will, Lucius. I'm to jump on to the future. I mean, to as the... you wish. You, <laughs> can, <laughs> you, as you wish, Lucius. It's really more okay. your show
0: at this point. I do want to, to talk frank, about thing. There's one current
1: thing I want to talk about. Well,
0: Let's do the current thing first shall we to make sure we talk about it so we'll be back in two minutes okay after this short break back back in a second everyone okay
2: <laughs> uk health radio the station that makes you feel good, good.
3: good. good. nagging pain we at AlgaCells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alga cells, part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alga cells. life is more beautiful with less pain.
2: A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org.
1: Station
0: that makes you feel good. Hi, welcome back to the last part of this week's Health Deck Hour with me, Steve Bruce, and my guest, Lucius Carey, uh, CEO and founder of Oxford Technology Management and a font of fantastic stories about the world of angel investing. So Lucius, you said you wanted to bring it up to the modern day. So yeah. let's go.
1: Okay. What's, what do you definitely want to talk about? Well,
0: Let's do I suppose it.
1: a couple of things. So, um, having started to make investments in 1983, um, I've now made. Uh, um, well, we have made. It's a team, not just me, but we've made more than um, 200 investments now in uh, startups, and which is amazing. The, Absolutely, all
2: amazing.
1: The, all the start, All the investments are within an hour's drive. Um and the reason for that is that we we the people in whom we're investing may be Nobel laureate winning scientists, but they've never seen a VAT return before or negotiated a deal with an American distributor or whatever it is. So we yeah. get actively involved to try to help. And yeah, you and it's much easier to do that if the businesses are nearby. So what we like are for funders yeah. to ring us up and say, "Look, this has just happened. What do you think we should do?" And I say, or my partner Andrea says, "Oh, you know, I'll, I'll well come over." And so ten minutes later, we're in their office, and we can, you know, if we can't solve the problem ourselves, we probably know somebody who can, and so the whole thing, you know, is solved before it becomes a big issue. That's what we try to do, and and we also get very cool. active, actively involved to try to get the business model. Right. Um, Yeah, and there are lots of business models, and uh, but you know, anyway, now what was I saying? Oh yes, I know the the company I was keen to talk about.
0: Yeah,
1: um, is called the Smarter Food Company, and it's um, it's interesting to me, and it is also it's a it's a it's a health tech kind of um, thing as well. I like it. Bacteria. When, when bacteria mm-hmm. developed in the three and a half billion years ago, there was no oxygen or very little oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere. So bacteria mm-hmm. developed um, a, a chemistry based on sulfur. And, and okay. when later, a uh, billion years later or whatever it was, multicellular um, organisms began to develop, they hijacked that same chemistry. And we still use it today in our mitochondria. So Mm -hmm. everything that's living on the planet—every every every plant, every insect, every fish, and ourselves—have this sulfur chemistry in our mitochondria. And it is, and that, and that's what makes the ATP, and that's that's what drives the energy of cellular processes. And a lot of people, uh, including the Quadrum Institute, believe. That one of the the fundamental causes of a lot of the diseases associated with age, in particular diabetes and prostate and breast cancer and other things, possibly even diseases of the brain, are fundamentally caused by that sulphur chemistry ceasing to work effectively, Mm -hmm. and therefore and everything therefore going slightly wrong in the Mm -hmm. body. And so okay. what what the Quadram Institute did, and it took twenty years to do it, they have um, developed a variety of broccoli, which is very high in okay. glucoraphanin. It took it took twenty years right. to, to develop, and they've now um, they uh-huh. formed a company called the Smarter Food Company, and the Smarter Food Company has now harvested its first crops of this. They call it VHG, very high glucoraphanin, Um uh, broccoli, and yes. you can buy it in a soup, and in in a, in a dry powder. Okay. And, and one, okay. Uh, their belief is that you take that soup once a week, and okay. that will, in particular, it will lower your blood sugar level. So uh, it's particularly mm. aimed at pre-diabetics. And there are a billion what? Uh, pre-diabetics yes. in the world, and there are three hundred seventy yeah. million. You know full diabetics what? and they're selling this soup for what is, five, pounds, what is, five pounds a week and we've, we've just actually yesterday had a wonderful um, case study <clears throat> from an individual who's he's quite old he's in his 80s and he is becoming pre-diabetic his blood sugar levels have been rising for about the last five years and he monitors it okay. every every week he takes readings and and, yeah. and then he started taking this soup about 4 months ago and his his sugar levels have come right down to within safe limits again so it's um
0: wow. it's a, it's that's, a big that's awesome. um,
1: I think it's I think it's good because it's a it, the cost of 10% of the NHS budget is consumed by treating diabetics and if yeah if this soup could prevent people from getting diabetes it would be very good value for the health service and and also for the individual you know you you'd avoid getting um diabetes so so, uh and so that company is looking for more just to go back a couple of (laughs) so
0: that's the smarter food company yeah so presumably people google smarter food company um, and they'll find it Yes. what's glucoraphanin what is glucoraphanin oh, is that like a spe- is that a particular glucoraphanin compound?
1: is a it's a compound which converts to sulfur in the body and and that produces sulfur delivers sulfur to cells in a form in which they can use it oh wow so it, it wow. uh it increases wow. yeah so the the effect That's pretty in this this case study this chap said he used to get very tired and he used to have to have a nap every uh, mid morning, and and now after taking this soup for four months, you have to take the soup for uh, you know uh, four or five months before, and then you need to take it once a week, but um, for it to have an effect. And he says that now you know he's got much more energy in his whole life. He just feels like a new person, and he's that's amazing. And he's measuring his own blood sugar level, and it's come right down. So. You know, we we can't the, the company has not done any clinical trials and we cannot make any health claims. Right. To me, it all makes the whole sort of sulfur story, you know, makes a lot of sense. And we and there are you know mm. a number of people now who are reporting very favorably. So. so that's super interesting. And what
0: other what other kind of interesting companies or or any other things particularly that you want to talk about that Oxford Capital Management is up to at the moment? Oxford Technology Management. Oxford Technology um, Management. I'm sorry, yeah, right. I, was talking, right. I was thinking <laughs> capital. Oxford yeah. Technology Management.
1: Uh, well, I, I mean, we have just had a, a very, very good exit. I mean, it may be a bit boring to to talk about that, but it is particularly good. So, we we invested uh, in 2015, um, 50,000 pounds to do an experiment, which was to modify a protein called CD200. And the idea okay. was to increase its affinity. And um, the experiment was very successful. And the thought was it could be a treatment for various autoimmune diseases, possibly. Okay. Anyway, so... Okay. Uh, and i I've invested in my own fund you know seven times, so I have shares in all these companies, yes. and in my particular case um i um, the fund invested four thousand pounds in this business on my behalf mm-hmm. and uh and then with the tax relief it's an s e i s investment, so the net cost to me was just over two thousand pounds and um yeah, in February this year, <laughs> this business was sold although the deal wasn't completed, the deal was agreed then, to an American pharmaceutical company for $400 million. And so I have... Wow, that's quite, first, that's
0: quite... that's quite
1: I've had the first payment uplift. of £20,000 back on my investment. And then there's a series of milestones. And if all those milestones are met, I will get £896,000 uh, return wow. on that investment. So I guess the point is that you nice. know the risks are high, but the returns uh, can also be very high. And um, the nice. SEIS scheme, I expect your listeners all know about it, but is absolutely nice. perfect for what we do. Yes, and you get you know you you invest your money, you get fifty percent back in year one against your income tax, and you also get. Um, money back against your capital gains tax if you have capital gains to pay. If the business fails, you get loss relief. So your total losses on £100,000 can be as low as £12,500 if the business fails. And if it works well, all the gains are tax-free. So if I get that £896,000 back on my £2,000 investment, there'll be no tax for me to pay. So it is a very, you know sensible thing to do i would say for investors yeah, yeah. and i i think the seis
0: eis for those of you who, who listening who don't know it's a, it was a scheme i think it was brought in under osborne osborne yes. cameron partnership yes. i think i could I, um, <laughs> which was basically God, well, i'll I'm, tell you that when what are you i
1: say? i heard i heard the scheme announced on the um on the radio and when I heard it announced, I could not believe it. I thought, this is impossible. So, and I rang right. up the people in the Treasury. I know the people in the Treasury. And I said, look, can I come and see you? So I went up to see them, and I went through it all. I said, okay, so I invest a £100,000, I get £50,000, back, blah, blah, blah. And then if it fails... And in those days, if the business failed, you actually made a small profit if it failed. Yeah. And I, I said, it's just amazing. Yeah. And they said, well, the Chancellor, George Osborne, has decided that the UK economy is in a mess and this was after the sort of financial crash so you know you couldn't agree with that and disagree with that and he said you know and what we need is more startups it's startups are the things that create jobs and create employment and on the whole large companies shed jobs and shed employment and um and but investors don't do startups because they're too risky so we're going to create a scheme which is going to change the culture and I would say it has yeah Uh, massively just a much much better climate 1978 when tax rates were 98 percent and there was just nothing now you know it's much easier for people to start businesses and in the business schools you know everybody wants to start a business now that's what they try to do first in my day nobody wanted to start a business they all wanted to go and work for consulting companies mckinsey's and boston consulting group and things yeah there's a yeah Total it's been a culture, big culture change yeah sorry yeah
0: i think for the better right i mean i do believe i buy into what you just said about osborne and startups creating jobs and things like that and big companies yeah. shedding jobs you know just anecdotally i i, I would perceive that to be a a, a a true thing so we've got like three minutes left in the show lucius okay. what advice as someone that's been in the game for a really long time you must have seen thousands of entrepreneurs possibly go, you know, in, in yeah. one way, shape or another. W- what advice would you give people that are out there looking to raise money right now really quickly? Like, what would you what would you be saying to them? It's a pretty
1: tough economy out there. I would, Well, I would say have a go. I think the the you know, the worst thing that people do is they say, I'll just get qualified, you know, and I'll, be- I'll get my accountancy qualification and, you know, and then I'll start a business. And the longer you leave it, the harder it gets, because, you know, then you're by the time you're 30 and you may be married and you've got a mortgage and you know, you're risking the, a, a lot of other people. Whereas yeah. if you're if you're young, you know, if it fails, it doesn't too much matter. You can go and get another job and pick yourself up. So I would I would say, you know, have a go. That would be the, the first message. Good. Lucius, we've come to the end of the show.
0: Okay. Thank you very much for coming on. It was genuinely I loved it. It was it was brilliant. I love the road stories. The, <laughs> I love I love that. That was fantastic. So yeah. Lucius Carey, CEO and founder of Oxford Technology Management. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show and thanks to My everyone pleasure. for listening. So good. speak to you again next okay. week. Bye. <laughs>